Hello, Natasha Mitchell with you. And this week on Science Friction, I'm joined by reporter Jane Lee. We are taking you to a unique place, which might seem a long way from Australia, but Australians are trying to do something big here. And locals seem to know very little about the plans. None of them knew it. So, so right away, within hours, we realised that something is wrong. Jane, this ecologist is very concerned. He is. And just to locate us, Manor Island sits off the northwest coast of Sri Lanka. It's about 26 kilometres long and 6 kilometres wide. It's rich in resources and has about 160,000 residents. Now, there are ambitious plans to build a sand mine here by an Australian ASX-listed company. But there are also accusations about its operation on the island and concerns that the rural community here is especially vulnerable to exploitation. It's very interesting to see how these people have identified these areas where people have been driven away because of the war. It was the worst incident in a bloody series of massacres and bombings since 1983. The car bomb exploded in the city's main bus The area was littered with bodies, many with lost limbs. Human rights activist Shreen Saroor is talking about the 26-year civil war between Tamils and Sinhalese Buddhists. The war ended in 2009, but Sri Lankans are still dealing with deep scars. And in the aftermath, many are trying to rebuild their lives on Manor Island, which is a unique place for another important reason. What makes Manor a unique place in the biodiversity point of view, it is one of the key wetland ecosystems in the Central Asian flyway. Evolutionary ecologist and ornithologist Dr. Sampath Senavaretna from the University of Colombo. The Central Asian flyway he mentions, it's like a massive highway for the world's migratory birds. It reaches from as far as northern Russia all the way to Sri Lanka. Up to a million birds fly thousands of kilometres south along this route every year to get to Manor Island, where they breed, feed and rest during the winter. It's one of their final stops on an epic journey. So by studying the water birds, the migratory birds in Manor, you can actually study the global patterns of change, the changes in the global you know, you know, migratory routes, uh, and then the Sri Lanka and the birds. The world's migratory birds are being dramatically affected by climate change, land clearing and other human activities. Scientists like Sampath are key to understanding how. It's a multifaceted approach, so the Manor is a good place for that. Sampath has a research station on Manor Island. It's famous for its large flocks of flamingos, but he's especially interested in the rare birds that visit the island. Spoonbill sandpiper, one of the rarest birds in the world and one of the most iconic species that are in the verge of extinction right now. And then you have, uh, there's a bird called crab plover, large, about the size of a chicken, uh, black and white uh, bird. It's kind of nicknamed the panda of the bird world. Are they also endangered? They're endangered because they are very rare anyway. They breed in Arabian Peninsula and they come in small family groups to Menar. I keep remembering going and bird watching with my father. Human rights activist Shreen Saroor grew up on Manor Island, and some of her earliest childhood memories are of massive flocks of birds visiting her hometown. 
So we go early morning, like four o'clock, and then we would hide somewhere, and then like we can't make any noise, and slowly watching them coming and landing in the causeway areas, and then catching fish, and then uh, taking off as a huge group, uh, covering the entire uh, the sky. Uh, that's something I, I still remember. Manor Island's wetlands are so important that its Vankale Bird Sanctuary is protected by the Sri Lankan government under the International Wetlands Agreement called the Ramsar Convention. The island's known for other flora and fauna too. In the sea, you've got dugongs and whales, and on land, it's famous for its ancient baobab trees early days of playing with donkeys, small ones, and then climbing up the above trees and all are my memories. But Shreen Saroor's childhood memories also reflect the island's darker history. She was in her mid-teens when the war began between the majority Sinhalese Sri Lankan military and the Tamil Tigers, or LTTE, militant separatists fighting for an independent Hindi Tamil homeland. And a warning, graphic scenes of war ahead. The latest bombing will increase pressures on the government to attack the northern Jaffna Peninsula, which is occupied by the Tamil guerrillas. But the government is reluctant to do so because hundreds of innocent Tamil civilians would die. We used to be very scared of various atrocities that the, the Sri Lankan military would uh, commit, particularly arrest, arbitrary arrest, disappearance, rape. Uh, so as a girl child, my mother used to dress me like a boy. But boys weren't safe during the war either. In the morning, I would see uh, my own classmates, you know, like boys from the other brother's school being killed, uh, mutilated. At the same time, also, I watched uh, Indian peacekeepers who came to Sri Lanka to keep peace uh, started fighting LTT. They were killed. Those baobab trees she climbed in as a child were where the Indian peacekeeping or IPK soldiers met their death at the hands of Tamil fighters. I talk very fondly about uh, baobab trees, but I have seen those you know, IPK heads being cut off and uh, you know put on those baobab trees around the trees and also nowadays when I go, I, I, that memory came often. In 1990, when Shreen was studying in Colombo, Sri Lanka's capital, her family was among the many Muslims evicted by the Tamil Tigers from the island. And Mana's community has been displaced repeatedly. Thousands of Sri Lankans fled to Australia too, including people from Manor Island. Some were refused asylum and sent back, according to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Since the war ended in 2009, people have started to return to the island, including one of Shreen's brothers, but it's hard to rebuild. Most of our abandoned houses and land has been taken over or occupied. So it's very difficult to go and, you know, claim this back because it also creates a lot of communal tension. So therefore, some of us who have enough uh, wanted to stay back, uh, whereas people who really... Uh, in their need of land and access to housing are going back. Shreen still lives in Colombo and she's the founder of a charity called the Manor Women's Development Federation that supports survivors of domestic violence and military violence. So her work regularly takes her back home. There is a acute uh, problem with regard to land and also livelihood. So in that context, the Muslim community is seen as going there and competing with the Tamil community for resources. And so amid that ongoing turmoil and recovery, now an Australian mining company 
is competing for the island's resources too. Here on Science Friction, we're taking you to Sri Lanka's Manor Island with this story. Reporter Jane Lee is with me, Natasha Mitchell. Jane, what's the company called? Who are they? Titanium Sands. It's a company listed on the ASX and headquartered in Perth. But it has big plans for Manor. They do. But here's the thing. Sri Lankans who should know about what it has planned, like Dr Sernavaretna, who runs a research station on the island, only got wind of it earlier this year. Somebody from Australia actually uh, informed about Titanium Sands. So that's how we got to know it. So it was a big shocker because how people like us been working in MANA and how we didn't know this. He says that in Sri Lanka, a public notice is usually issued when companies get given permission for mining exploration. And given the vulnerability of Manor's environment and its rural community, private and public conservation groups tend to keep a close eye on these sorts of proposals. Since none of these organisations seems like clueless about this, we knew that something is wrong somewhere. Titanium Sands wants to mine mineral sands on Manor Island and it's been spruiking rich deposits there to investors. So what are mineral sands? Mineral sands are a placer-style deposit, which means they've formed over many hundreds and thousands of years due to the action of water and wave motion. They can occur along coastlines, but they can also occur at sites of ancient ocean beds or river streams. Tom Payton is a mineralogist, currently doing his PhD at the University of Adelaide on developing mineral-specific sensor technology. He worked in the mining industry for a decade before that. He's independent of titanium sands. The main products that we produce from mineral sands deposits are zircon and titanium minerals. Zircon gets largely used in ceramics, so tiles and tableware but also gets used as a refractory material for furnaces and in some advanced manufacturing and advanced materials applications such as electronics or catalytic converters. The titanium minerals are largely used as the source of white pigment for paints, inks, cosmetics, sunscreen, you name it. But they're also slightly used to, as a source of titanium metal right around the world. Uh, this is this is the major source of white pigment for most of your painting applications, uh, most of your colouring applications, and this is something that <laughs> it would be a very dull world without colour. Globally, sand is being threatened by unsustainable and illegal mining practices, according to the UN's Environment Program. Sand and gravels are extracted and traded more than any other solid substance in the world, and demand for it is growing. This is big business. And since 2018, Titanium Sands has been surveying Manor Island, drilling shallow holes to determine the prospects for a mineral sands mine there. So 24 months, uh, of which, of course, uh, the last nine months has uh, been in the COVID era. This is the managing director of Titanium Sands, James Searle, who's joining us from Perth. His company's reported that it acquired exploration licences covering most of the island after taking over a Mauritian company called Shrinal Holdings. It's early days, but after they scope what mineral sands are there and what's mineable, next comes the application to mine. We're a way off that. We're still in the uh, exploration and uh, scoping study stage. And the purpose of that is to uh, document where the heavy minerals are concentrated. 
And the area where the companies found mineral sands is significant. The project would probably uh, look at treating sand from an area that uh, would be probably something uh, two kilometres wide by maybe about eight kilometres long. And that's probably over a 30-plus-year lifespan on a, you know, an annualised basis, uh, probably something in the region of um, between uh, 10 and 16 hectares. That's about 12% of the total island's area. James Searle can't yet confirm what volume of sand would be mined. Mineralogist Tom Payton won't comment on titanium sands and its plans, but he can help explain how sand mining works. First, he says you cordon off a working area where you plan to dredge mineral sands. You can think of it like Hollywood's idea of quicksand. It's kind of solid, but not really, and it's actually quite wet. And you put a boat in there and it, it moves around and it just sucks up all of the slurry. And it churns that slurry through some pipes, pumps it through to the processing plant. And then in the processing plant, all we do to separate out mineral sands is exploit gravity and electromagnetism. So we, we use gravity to separate out the valuable material that's heavier than the less valuable material that's very light. And then we exploit the magnetic properties and these electrostatic properties of the minerals, like a balloon that's been rubbed on some carpet, to further split them out into the different products that we want to produce. And then the material that's not one of our products just gets pumped back in behind the dredge. But it's what that process disrupts in the surrounding environment that concerns ornithologist Dr. Sampath Senavaretna. He believes a sand mine on Manor Island could endanger the lives of the up to one million migratory birds that rely on it as a productive food source in winter. These birds require highly productive uh, places to feed during their migration and uh, during their winter stopover. So Manor is such place, so if the productivity drops, they can't use Manor. So they have to go for other places. And since Manai harbors about a million birds, so there's a lot of birds would need alternative sites. There's very few such sites in the Central Asian flyway as a whole. But Titanium Sands Managing Director James Searle says that the company's proposed mine would be about five kilometres away from the protected Vankale Bird Sanctuary. The wintering patterns of birds and so forth would be subject to the uh, environmental impact assessment. Clearly, the proximity or lack of proximity between uh, operations and uh, the uh, Ramsar areas uh, of Vankali um, indicates that um, it's something that needs to be examined, but you wouldn't think that being in uh, uh, that uh, distance from it that would be a major impact, but that's subject to uh, environmental impact assessment and uh, all the necessary studies that would support it. But birds don't just stay put inside the bounds of a protected sanctuary. And Dr Senevaretna thinks the impact of a sand mining operation on the island will be negative for both birds and people, regardless of where it's built. Are you going to uh, cut the palmera or palm plantations and dredge? Are you going to ask people to leave their homes and dredge? Are you going to do that and rebuild the houses for them? Or are you going to go to the Ramsar wetland or the uh, Adam Swiss National Park to dredge? So you're saying there's no room. There's no room to dredge is what you're saying. There's no room for horizontal development. There's only vertical space there. It's a small island and surrounding the island is coral reefs and uh, some of the richest and the best most sensitive environment in Sri Lanka. 
Mineralogist Tom Payton claims the biggest environmental impact of dredging mineral sands is putting back the sand on the surface that you've dug up to get to the valuable materials. In industry lingo, that's called overburden. If you have to remove overburden, then you've obviously changed the surface. And the process of returning the waste material back to the ground and then putting the overburden back on it, that's probably your biggest risk in terms of environmental impact. But overall, Tom Payton argues that mineral sands mining has smaller environmental impacts compared with other types of mining. You don't really change the nature of the material that you're processing. There's no hazardous chemicals involved. There's no acids. It's just literally flushing it with water, essentially. So the end product from the processing, what's left, the waste, really hasn't changed from from what started. So in terms of mineral processing, it's, it's very, very, very low impact. I think that's correct in the sense that what you're essentially doing with this type of mining is just physically separating the target mineral, the mineral sands, from the other material, which is largely just silica sand. Professor Daniel Franks is a program leader at the Sustainable Minerals Institute at the University of Queensland. He's read Titanium Sands investor reports and media reports about the project in Sri Lanka, and he suggests the impact on Manor Island will likely be significant. The kind of environmental impact that would come from dredging, um, that such a large part uh, of the island would require um, the clearing of vegetation. It would require very um, impactful mining. It wouldn't leave chemicals that are used in other types of mining, yes, but the kind of um, physical impact would be um, significant. Other physical impacts of sand mining can include groundwater disturbance and other aspects of running a mine like roads, dust, noise, waste management and more. Now, Titanium Sands hasn't yet confirmed where it will mine, but it has indicated where they think they'll find mineral sands, their reserves. The reported reserves that uh, Titanium Sands has put out to investors, they're pretty extensive across the island. Um, so if the company was to mine those reported reserves, it would have pretty fundamental impact on manor, including the mining of beaches. Um, so mining to such a wide extent uh, would dramatically transform the ecosystem. It would also limit the other land uses that the community already has for the island. Like fishing, which human rights activist Shreen Saror says is vital to the livelihood of the locals. The coastal uh, line, the beach area is the livelihood base of the people. Where they keep their boat, where they dry their fish, where they process their fish, whether it's sorting out, whether it's, uh, you know, ice, put ice and exporting, all those activities happens in those areas. Our exploration work has only been undertaken on uh, areas where there's uh, no habitation and where there is no active agriculture. I can't see how it would influence the, uh, the local fishing industry. A mining operation in the interior of the island, one to three kilometres away from the nearest coast, not impacting the water table. I can't see how um, coastal ecosystems would be, uh, would be impacted. But no intention and uh, um, I would say there's probably no economic incentive also to uh, operate on the beach. Titanium Sands Managing Director James Searle stresses that they may not end up being able to mine all their reserves should the mine go ahead. 
and he says they'll be staying one to three kilometres inland, not mining beachfronts. At this stage, um, our focus is purely on the inland portions of Banner Island, where uh, we have heavy mineral concentrations. Those uh, areas along the shoreline are of no interest to us whatsoever because uh, we consider them to be uh, environmentally sensitive. We are much more interested in uh, the interior, one to three kilometres away from uh, the nearest coastline. Okay, so not, not on active beaches? Absolutely, no. Even so, based on the reserves published by Titanium Sands, Professor Daniel Franks thinks this project by an Australian mining company would have problems if it was proposed in Australia rather than Sri Lanka. The regulatory system in Australia is set up that it doesn't explicitly prohibit anything. Basically, you put in your environmental impact assessment and you need to make the case that that the project is not going to have a significant impact on the environment. My expectation is if this kind of project was put forward in Australia, it wouldn't be able to make that case just because of the location in which it's mining. Mineral sands mining in Australia tends to be terrestrial deposits. So they're deposits that are not part of active ecosystems at the moment in in terms of the sand. They're away from watercourses and waterways. They're not typically likely to have the same kind of significant environmental impacts. Titanium Sands Managing Director James Searle rejects this outright. We will not be mining on the beaches. We will not be mining in uh, areas where there's uh, uh, active agriculture or habitation. How you can make a statement that that would not be uh, permitted in Australia is uh, farcical. This sort of uh, operation uh, uh, does occur in Australia, has occurred over the last 50 to 60 years with an excellent uh, environmental record. That is a nonsensical statement here in Western Australia. We've got over 50 years of uh, mineral sand mining that's occurred in the southwest. These mineral sand mines, in some cases, are in close proximity to uh, um, areas of population, areas of environmental significance. Uh, The overall effect and uh, the rehabilitation and whatever has been exemplary. So I totally uh, reject those statements. But the map of Manor Island on the company's website indicates that it has drilled close to the coastline as part of its initial exploration. Hemantha Withanagi is Executive Director of Sri Lanka's Centre for Environmental Justice. He questions the way the company's advertising its plans to investors. In their website, they're promoting this mana titanium sands as like a promising resources. How can somebody promote like that even without going through the the environmental impact assessment process? The environmental impact assessment is a key part of the process of getting approval to build a mine. Hemantha says this is the stage where the public can have its say. There's still a lot of steps to go through, so it's not a done deal yet. So definitely we have to see the environmental impact assessment. And if we are not happy, there are local regulations that we have to follow and be public entitled to go to the courts and asking for justice. But there's a twist in this story. Titanium Sands exploration licences have come under fire. The company claims it acquired these licences when it took over Mauritian company Shrinal Holdings two years ago. But Sri Lanka's Geological Survey and Mines Bureau, that's the office that issues mining licences, has publicly stated that this transfer of licences isn't legal in Sri Lanka. These drilling permits, according to the Mines Bureau, is non-transferable. You can't uh, transfer these permits to third parties. These agreements are between the Mines Bureau, the government, and the applicant. 
The news made headlines in Sri Lankan media back in June. I've seen a number of Sri Lankan local media reports that indicate that Sri Lanka's Geological Survey and Mines Bureau has confirmed Titanium Sands actually doesn't have a valid licence to explore Manor Island because they say existing licences can't be transferred to other companies. What's your response to that? Incorrect. The tenure is held uh, according to uh, uh, Sri Lankan uh, uh, regulations and most department regulations. The responses from uh, the GSMB were in relation to uh, media posts um, which began back uh, in uh, old July and even a bit before uh, claiming that uh, there wasn't any tenure. This is uh, incorrect. Um, The uh, legal advice uh, and uh, the legal structures are uh, in total compliance with uh, Sri Lankan uh, uh, regulations and law. James Searle confirmed to Science Friction that Sri Lanka's Industries Department subsequently asked Titanium Sands for more information on its drilling licences in November. He says he's shown the department legal advice he's received confirming that their licences are valid. But you won't find this in Titanium Sands' public announcements to its investors. No, I think the legal advice is absolutely crystal clear. Um, We're holding the licences under uh, uh, Sri Lankan law and regulation. Sure. I mean, sure, your legal advice is clear to you, but um, if the government department hasn't made a decision either way, wouldn't it be prudent to... Um, to inform the market that that's so? No, because we don't, for starters, the uh, inquiry was uh, set up uh, by the uh, Department of Industry and it was, uh, there was, uh, they requested information and information has been supplied. Despite these questions over Titanium Sands' right to explore Manor Island, the company intends to start surveying again once Sri Lanka's COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. Human rights activist Shreen Saror is concerned a mine could affect the groundwater of Manor Island, a critical resource for locals. Manor gets the smallest amount of, of the rain in the whole of Sri Lanka. So we totally depend on groundwater. And the groundwater is also in Manor, it's very uh, uh, you know low and half of the Manor population does not have direct pipe access. So they have to go to fetch the water from the well or a tube well. Professor Daniel Franks says the extent to which a sand mine could disturb the groundwater on Manor depends on how deep titanium sands digs into the earth. I think that it's there is a potential to impact groundwater systems. We've seen that in some sand mining in Australia where there's indurated or, or layers in the sand that are uh, impermeable and that can hold um, water. So when you disturb those, it can impact groundwater systems. But I think that the bigger impact is just the surface disturbance that's going to happen um, across the island. If it was to affect the groundwater, uh, we wouldn't uh, wouldn't be doing it. That's, uh, you know, that's just almost goes without saying. Titanium Sands plans to rehabilitate the land it has dredged within 30 years, should the mine go ahead. But is it possible to return mining sites back to their original condition? Mineralogist Tom Payton speaking to our environment reporter, Nick Kilvert. Returning disturbed mining areas to their original ecological conditions is not unachievable. So with mineral sands, because you don't introduce any hazardous chemicals and because you're not changing the the composition or the nature of the material, you don't really have the same level of concern once you return it back to the ground around things like acid rock drainage or permeable 
toxic materials suddenly being available to contaminate the groundwater. That's not really an issue in mineral sands. It's it's fairly clean mining and fairly clean processing. And so are there some examples around Australia of where we've mined mineral sands and then we've rehabilitated and fixed up any of the damage that was done during the process? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that one. Most of the operations at the moment have been running for a fairly long time. So it's been a while since an operation has closed in Australia. So back to Titanium Sands Managing Director James Searle. Does he foresee any problems in getting environmental approval for the planned mine? No, I don't think there's um, there's nothing uh, that we see from the scoping study that is uh, insurmountable. But, you know, we're only just starting the environmental impact assessment. So uh, that remains, uh, remains open. But local environmental advocates feel uneasy and are concerned about how little information they've been given about Titanium Sands' future plans. To my understanding, as a local people, there is objection already. Hemantha Withanagi, Executive Director of Sri Lanka's Centre for Environmental Justice, has been asked by some residents on Manor Island to inspect Titanium Sands' exploration sites. But because of the pandemic, he hasn't been able to go yet. I know the local communities have disagreements about the impacts and the social impacts. They fear that they're going to lose something there. So um, we are not very clear at the moment what it is because there's uh, very much lack in information. We would like to engage in discussion. We may not initially agree, but at least we can have discussions that are based on fact, not uh, supposition. We would just like to be uh, in a position where uh, we could engage in constructive dialogue with people. COVID uh, hasn't helped. Hopefully uh, in the coming year, uh, when the world generally is looking at uh, something post-COVID, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can get that constructive dialogue going. In fact, Titanium Sands Managing Director says he wants to offer private landowners agricultural opportunities in exchange for sharing their land. In these areas where we have heavy mineral resources, uh, currently uh, there are areas where, um, or large areas of the mineral resource, uh, where there is no active agriculture. Uh, and uh, we are going to be suggesting to them that um, as part of our arrangements with them, we would develop commercial plantation, uh, which would then pass back to them uh, very quickly after the uh, passing of mining, uh, say within a two to three year time period which would uh, mean that there is an ongoing and sustainable uh, uh, enhancement to agriculture on, uh, on manor. Bear in mind that uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, substantial areas of plantation being developed. And this is a, an island where uh, uh, employment uh, can be precarious. Um, there is uh, uh, economic issues uh, associated with um, uh, casual labour and so forth. And uh, we, uh, we see this as uh, happening in tandem to uh, the other positive uh, economic uh, benefits of the project that is uh, sustainable in the long term and will provide um, uh, you know, ongoing uh, employment and uh, economic activity. James Searle also says he expects the company's mine to hire between 200 and 600 people, most of whom would be Sri Lankan and preferably Manor residents. But Hemantha says it's vital that local residents are heard. 
these are natural resources owned by the public in Sri Lanka. And in 2000, we, we have got this judgment and according to the judgment, the natural resources are owned by the people and the government is only a trustee and the government cannot just privatize or give it to anybody for mining so without the consent from the public. Shreen Saror, founder of the Manor Women's Development Federation, has a message for Australian shareholders of titanium sands. At the end of the day, they are investing in Sri Lanka to make profit. So my message would be to them to make sure not to profit out of, uh, you know, a community that has been suffering in the last 30 years of the war, multiple displacement, now only slowly coming back and resettling in their home and trying to establish their, their livelihood. Think about the impact not only on the environment, but also on the people and make their decision. A project to keep an eye on. Thanks to reporter Jane Lee with our colleague ABC Environment reporter Nick Kilvert. Science Friction is produced by Jane and I and you can get hold of us via the Science Friction website or tweet us at Natasha Mitchell and at Jane S.Y. Lee. Next week, it's Mike's miracle at Lightning Ridge because sometimes when you sift through the sand, you make an earth-shattering finding. Catch you then. <laughs> 